Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Neil Haley Show's ProVision Brokerage Celebrity Segment. We're excited to welcome the program. First of all, Eric Couch. Eric, how are you? And we're in, we see you're in your office, but yeah. you are a huge fan of the show. I'm a huge show. fan. A huge yes. fan. Everyone's a huge fan. I saw the last thing they talked about when they were covering certain things, talking about happy days in, um, on TV lately. So it's like, you know, he's always plastered everywhere, this guest. So go ahead and introduce him. Well, I'm a fan on Sundays, Mondays, really any happy day, right? Uh, today we've got Don Most, also known as Ralph Mouth. Um, you know, loves to talk and we got a smiler here and we're going to have a blast and just a great conversation. Absolutely, Eric. Don, thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you. That's good to be with both of you. Thank you. Yeah. And Don, Don and I are starting to be, develop this friendship, right? Trying to have different theme-based shows. Eric really takes it towards the family in this theme when he co-hosts with me, and he'll ask some really interesting questions about legacy and, and motivation and everything, and his business is all based on that. And as I said, you guys are both performers. He was a you're a music major, right, Eric? In college? Eric? I was, uh, in college, I was a vocal performance major and singing and dancing in theater. And, uh, and then I grew up, my, you know, my dad and granddad were both college football players and baseball. And uh, oh. I figured I would do the same. And then I, I took a turn and, and went in music and singing and being in shows and just loved it. Met my bride and we just celebrated 20 years and somehow along the way got into uh, insurance and, and doing retirement planning and, you know, but yeah, awesome. all kinds of fun stuff. All right. Yeah, I know you have a first question you want to ask Don. Well, yeah. So, I mean, tell me, tell me about happy days. Like there, there's a million questions, but how did you get into that? How did that start off? Well, I, you know, I grew up in, in, Brooklyn, New York, and from a very young age, I, I started pursuing uh, the acting, singing kind of thing. I was going to a school on, on I was going to regular, you know, junior high and, and um, high school, but I went on the weekends, I would go into Manhattan, take the subway to a school that specialized with young teenagers and kids for singing and acting and dancing, that sort of thing. And, yeah. um, and so I, I was really into it, especially music. I loved the great American songbook, even at that age and jazz and, and the jazz standards. And I actually wound up getting a pick from that school to be in this nightclub review when I was 14, 15 years old. And uh -huh. I was singing during that summer up in the Catskill Mountains, a resort area upstate New York that had a lot of entertainment, all these hotels with nightclubs. So I was doing that when I was like 14, 15 one summer. And then I shifted my focus into acting, uh, much more into a serious acting class in New York yeah. after that summer. And started getting through that, through that school. I met a woman who was, became my manager and started going out on a lot of auditions and uh, doing a lot of TV commercials in New York. It was, that was a big, it still is in New York. And, yeah. and um, uh, L.A. after my junior year in college, I was supposed to just go for the summer. Uh, but I started making some connections and, and going on auditions and getting some parts. And, and I wound up staying in L.A. I didn't go back for my senior year. I figured I'd take some time off. 
and then um, eventually it led, I got landed some more parts and then led to me auditioning uh, for Happy Days, uh, a slew of auditions and then a screen yeah. test. And, and then after the screen test, um, you know, they, I got offered uh, a role. So uh, that's how that happened uh, in, in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> now, and you were there for all 11 seasons, right? Like that, nope. weren't there 11 seasons of it? Yeah, but I was only there the first seven. The first Ron, seven. Yeah, Ron Howard and I left after the seventh season. Our contracts were up and uh, for various reasons. He, he wanted to really pursue directing. And, and um, yeah. I, I felt it was, I'd been playing this one character for seven seasons. And, and I wasn't really like the character to begin with. And yeah. I, I, I didn't want to get stuck you know, uh, sort of in that role, because typecasting right. was a very real kind of a syndrome, more yeah. so back, back then when there were only three networks. It was, yeah. no, it was no Netflix, there was no cable, yeah. there was no, no internet. So, you know, so it was a more, you were more prone to getting associated mm -hmm. with a character uh, as opposed to today where there's so many different shows and, you know, right. you, don't have, you don't have 50 million people watching you every Tuesday night, like we did. You might yeah. a big show now will have five million people. You know, yeah. That that's the interesting thing. You talk about so many people watching. I couldn't imagine that, especially that time. There's not many choices, right? Don at all at that time. Yeah. For well, and you you just you know there's so many. Yeah, you're I mean, absolutely top casting because uh, I mean the reality is when I works. when I heard your name, and I immediately went to Ralph Mount. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been doing a lot of other things, you know, over the years. And of course, people are still going to remember me from Happy Days. But uh, a lot of new things have been happening, a lot of really good things, films, films and, some, and television and theater and my music. So, um, you know, it's, gonna ch it's changing. It's, it's opening up in, in new ways now, which is great. Yeah. Absolutely. So what was what was your uh you know we'll we'll jump to some stuff but you know we've got to obviously cover you know happy days so w was there uh was there a favorite moment or a favorite character or story you know or something that happened behind the scenes that you still think back to and laugh and just you know I'm, some of the memories like, from back then there were so many you know there, there's so many wonderful memories and there's not like one thing that stands out for me what what really stands out for me is, you know, how great we all got along, yeah. how we loved working together and, and all the conversations we would have, you know, in between setups, in between uh, during, you know, uh, before we would shoot, uh, in between shooting, um, the camaraderie, the family type atmosphere that we had. Mm. Um, that's what I really remember and have such fun. I, I have great memories of, shooting episodes too but 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 it was so um enriched with with that other element which was great and and um and wonderful collaboration a very vibrant creative uh you know collaborative energy that was that was there on the set and then when you talked about all those different characters what about the fawns what do you think of when you think of the fawns especially work with them but also just the the gimmick the the character in so many ways yeah, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't call say use gimmick in in describing 
in describing that at all. I, I mean, Henry was a, is, was, and is a wonderful actor, serious actor, you know, yeah. who went to the Yale Drama School for his masters and, and um, was nothing like that character, but it was beautiful, uh, a genius kind of inspiration on his part, to how he created that character. And I saw it evolve. I saw it in real time evolve. And it was just brilliant stuff that he did to create that. I mean, it, be, it became more gimmicky later on, but that was, I, I think that was more of a result of sort of the network um, going to the well too often saying, uh, oh, give us more of that. You know, oh, it was great when right. he snapped his fingers. And so then they start, you know, they were like asking for more and more and, and it became a little bit ridiculous, you know, but then it became more gimmicky. But yeah. that was a result of, of them, you know, thinking, oh, that works. So let's do it more and bigger, you know, and sometimes that's not a good idea. Yeah. Not at oh, all. Yeah. Hey, keep it, keep it chill. Um, which was, which was the whole persona, right? Building these, building these larger than life personalities as, as you've got the cool funds and then you've got Ralph. That's just fun. Like your character was just fun. Anytime you were around, we're going to be smiling. We're going to be laughing. Um, and it's just, Hopefully, you know, yeah. everybody brought, but what's wild is, you know, I mean, how long has happy days been off the air? Well, you know, it's never really been off in terms of the original, right. uh, the original programming. Uh, the, the last season for them was 1984, I believe. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's, that's a long time ago, 84. So 15, to, was that 35 years ago or something 35 like that? 35 years. And yet my kids love watching happy days, right? When oh, they were great. kids and you know, when they were, when they were children and, and just looking for something that was, that was family friendly, that was funny. Oh. Right. Um, yeah. you know, because we have to be so careful with what we allow our kids uh, to see these days and yeah. but we can go back to happy days and shows like that. And we know that our, it's totally fine and our kids are going to watch it and love it. And, of course, you know, they, with mine, it was Father's Knows Best and then the Andy Griffith Show. And, but then they get into to Happy Days and it's like, man, I don't ever have to worry about if they're watching a show that, that something's going to pop up that I'm going to have to explain later, right? Right. Yeah. Um, it's true. I mean, we have, when I've gone around the country for sometimes, you know, uh, personal appearances or different events and sh uh, shows, that's one of the, the biggest comments I get is, people and parents will say, you know, it was a show that we could watch with the family and there aren't too many like that. And, 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 you know, it was all these different generations that would be, it would be yeah. parents with their kids or their grandparents as well, watching it with them and that they could share it as a family. And um, they, and they said, we loved that about it. And we wish there were more shows like that. And, and um, so Yes, I, we're, we were very proud of, of that. More so now, probably when I was in my 20s, I don't know if I appreciated that as much or understood how the importance of that as much. Yeah. Um, but now, you know, I, I, I get it. I really see that and, and it, see how, how much that meant to people. Yeah. And that whole, the whole envisionary thing of the show, such a big part of it. And uh, it's just the, the characters, all that stuff, Eric, is what 
really makes, uh, you know, the show what it is. And Don, that's the thing when I was talking about before is how, what you learned from that family, from everyone, every one of the characters, every one of your cast, you learn so much from each one of them that you take today. Right. right? And so much, wouldn't you say? Um, well, I, I certainly learned from the people I worked with. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it was, yeah. an, an it was an incredible cast and, and behind the scene, you know, our producer, our, our the, the creator of the show and the exec producer, Gary Marshall, yeah. who was a, he was a comic genius and, and uh, getting to, to be up close in person, you know, working intimately with, with him and our, and our director, Jerry Parrish, who was fantastic. He had done all the, he had, he had directed uh, most of the old Dick Van Dyke shows and, and he yeah. played the next door neighbor, Jerry Helper. And he, he was like, uh, they were both real mentors to us. Um, and then, but then, you know, me, here I am working with Ron Howard, who I grew up with, you know, watching him on Andy Griffith's show and movies and all uh, kinds of stuff. And, and, and Tom Bosley, who I, I seen in movies and knew, you know, he won the Tony on Broadway for Fiorello and, um, and then, and then meeting Henry and Anson and getting to, and, and Marion, um, and Aaron, it was an amazing cast. So. Yeah, I, I used to stick around. Like, I remember, especially in the first season, uh, you know, we were not always shooting in front of an audience. The first two years, we shot it like a movie, the first two seasons. So, um, you know, you'd shoot a scene, and then maybe you wouldn't be in the in the scene for another several hours, then you'd be in another scene. And maybe mm -hmm. I'd be done for the day, and it would be early. Well, I used to stick around and just watch, Very because, well. you know, I, I, I didn't want to leave. I wanted to watch Tom and Marion and Ron and, and, you know, in their scenes. And then I'd want to watch Anson and, and Ron or, or Henry in, in their scenes. Uh, so I, in, I remember Tom would look up at me and see me. He knew I was done for the day. And he'd see me sitting off to the side watching. And he goes, what are you doing? Go home. You're done. You know, you're done. I'm going, I don't want to go home. I want to watch. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's fun. So and it was fun. And, but I, I, was really you know definitely absorbing taking it all in and and you know learning about the process too because i had done some guest roles on tv before that and a lot of commercials but this was this was a different kind of thing and 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 i i i was you know wanted to take it all in i loved being there and 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 being a part of it even as an observer right so so question you know the people the people want to know uh, does Ralph the Mouth still got it? <laughs> well, I, I'll go by what other people tell me. And um, there's been a lot of uh, affirmations of that lately. You know, what people see, they're seeing, because um, I'll be posting on Facebook. and We're going to have a great part two of this interview. Part one was phenomenal. Don, I mean, just to hear about his just experiences with the Happy Days. But I know you have some new things you want to talk to him in part two when we re we go ahead and schedule that interview because you did some research finding out about some of his entrepreneurship and some of the other mm -hmm. things that you want to delve into, right. a legacy question. But where can people find information on you and find out more info on you? Where can we go? Well, you know, there's a handful of places we can go. Our company website is provisionbrokerage.com, P-R-O-V-I-S-I-O-N-B-R-O-K-E-R-A-G-E.com. Or you can go to 
uh, facebook.com slash Eric Couch. And you'll see a picture of me, E-R-I-C-C-O-U-C-H. Uh, just like the furniture. I think that's how Billy Madison passed the third grade is felon couch. So um, yeah, you find me online and, and love chatting. And you're going to be traveling again soon, right? A little bit of a trip. You're making another little trip. Well, we just we just had our 20th wedding anniversary and went to Yellowstone and, and Tetons and all that and had an absolute blast. It's been closed all summer. The animals were everywhere. We saw grizzlies and and uh, elk and moose and bison and all of the. I mean, it was it was amazing. Um, and then later next month, I'll be speaking at AT and T. Um, just about communication and, and retirement planning and some things like that. Uh, and then a handful of other speaking engagements throughout the year. Yeah. Fantastic. All right. Well, everyone needs to check you out. Look forward to our next big celebrity interview. You can check them out in all the different places. It's available all over the place and uh, look forward to launching the podcast as well with all of our great interviews we've done so far uh, regarding just that legacy and some of the guests yeah. that told us the legacy. So I appreciate it. Legacy and influence. Absolutely. I love it. And that's the important things. If you're truly living a life that is purpose driven, it needs to be legacy and influence in so many ways that's to, right. to get reach the most people. So take care, Eric. Thanks, Neil. All right. Bye-bye. You're listening to Neil Haley show. And we'll be back in just a moment. Neil Haley here. Lensec has been a sponsor of the Neil Haley Show and Total Media Network for around a year and a half. And I wanted to tell you a little bit about Lensec. Lensec has been a pioneer in IP security videos since 1998. The company is a trusted security partner with experience around the world. Lensec has experience working with customers in higher education, K-12 education, government, public safety, critical infrastructure, healthcare, commercial, and more. The physical security experts at Lensec help customers develop enterprise solutions for their complex physical security projects using our flagship software, Perspective VMS. Lensec's enterprise-level video management software, Perspective VMS, is a browser-based software that streams and captures IP security camera video. The latest version of PVMS uses HTML5 interactive features in a thin client application that is designed to provide real-time situational awareness. Access control and other advanced features are integrated into a unified security platform, creating an ability to track behavior and movement while monitoring the live or recorded video. For more information, please visit lensec.com. And now back to the show. Hi, everyone, and we're back to the Neil Haley Show here on the Author's Corner segment. I'm excited to welcome to the program Sandy Tolan, author of The Lemon Tree, an Arab, a Jew in the heart of the Middle East. Sandy, thanks for stopping by. How are you? I'm doing fine, Neil. Thanks for having me. Yes. Let's uh, you know talk about specifically enough of how tell the telling of The Lemon Tree differs for younger readers in this new edition. Well, it, the story is still the same, it's, it, and, and a lot of the language and, and, and style of the book is still the same. Um, it's a story of two people, uh, one Israeli, one Palestinian, and their connection uh, to a single house in what was once Palestine and is now Israel. 
the difference is that there's not as much of the denser history um, so that um, young readers can experience just the story of these two people. And essentially the story begins in 1948 when uh, Bashir was six years old and, and uh, before Dahlia was even born. Uh, this was the time that Israelis call the War of Independence yes. and Palestinians call the Nakba or catastrophe. And it's the same thing. And that was part of what drew me to the story is how can history be understood so completely differently by different people? You know, the, the historians will call it the first Arab-Israeli war. Um, and this is when 750,000 Palestinians fled or were driven out of their homes during the creation of Israel. And Bashir went into exile at six years old with his family from the house his father had built and planted a lemon tree in the backyard. And it was around this time that, that Dahlia was born. Um, and she was born in Bulgaria. The story of the Bulgarian Jews is a, really a remarkable story. They were the only uh, community of Jews in Europe who remained largely intact. Um, and nevertheless, because of this terribly close call, most Bulgarian Jews made the decision to move to Israel in 1948 okay. and 9. And so that's when, you know, Bashir's uh, family got her on a boat and they ended up uh, coming to Israel and moved into the very house that uh, that Bashir's family had fled with the lemon tree in the backyard. So the difference between the book and now making it show more related to children's, the new edition, what was the reason you did that? Well, uh, the story is universal. Um, and what we wanted to do is expand the audience. Um, you know, I, we didn't think that the readers needed, uh, young readers needed to have as many details of the history right. as we put into the into the adult version. Um, but it's essentially the same story, and, and much of the language, uh, in fact, most of the language is exactly the same. It's, it's written to be understood, you know, no matter what your age is, as long as you can read. And... Uh, and, and but we just removed a lot of the history so that the story would flow more and people wouldn't get the same kind of you know all the details um, but really this the story is the same in terms of of what happened and you know once once uh, Dahlia's family arrived and they moved into that same house in uh, in what uh, what it was now Israel and, and had been Palestine a house that had been um, uh, uh, Dali, uh, it had been Bashir and his family's home. Uh, for years, they each wondered about the other without, of course, knowing who was there. Bashir was in exile and um, wondered, you know, who's living in our house? And Dahlia was wondering, you know, who, who lived here and why did they leave this beautiful home? She was told at school that the, the Arabs had just run away uh, out of fear um, but or they were cowards, and yet, then in 1967, after the Six Day War, Bashir managed to get to that front door of the gate uh, that his father had built and rang the bell. And Dahlia now had grown up to be, you know, a 19 year old college student, comes to the door, and there's Bashir with his two cousins all dressed up in suits and ties in the sweltering heat. And Dahlia told me later, you know. 
I knew who they were and I knew why they had come and I knew that if I turned them away, I would never probably see them again and I might not ever know what really happened. And so remarkably, you know, with the enemy at the gate, literally, she decided that she should let them in and she did. And that that's the story that connects readers across ages, uh, age groups. I mean, for adults and kids alike, it's a universal story of home and of connecting and of reaching out across the divide, which I think is a lesson that we could all learn a little bit of today uh, because of the the nature of, of our sort of inability to hear each other in America today. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing that you talk about, the differences in the United States. They could see that relationship the, how our split and divide in the U.S. right now compared to looking at the Palestinians in Israel in Israel that there is a really was a really big divided rift. Are you seeing a better relationship now with, let's say, and I'm going to comparisons to kind of a stranger comparison, Palestine now and Israel having a better relationship now than probably the, the political divide now in the United States? Unfortunately, no. Okay. Um, you know, the, the, the situation in, in Israel, Palestine right now is probably as bad as it's ever been. Really? Okay. Um, Even though we're hearing different things from different people. Okay. Kind of explain that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just not uh, the, the idea, uh, the, you know, some, some years ago, more than 30 years ago, the Palestinians sort of agreed to this grand compromise that instead of all getting their homes back and all being able to live across the entire Palestine that they had once lived in, uh, they agreed to a state uh, on just the West Bank and Gaza. But unfortunately, Israel continued to build settlements so that Palestinians now are forced into these little islands under a military occupation. Um, and successive American administrations, including the current one, and even more so than previous um, have sided with uh, the conservative Israeli governments, and so Palestinians have been losing uh, losing land and losing rights. And my optimism is for a more the medium and long term that I think eventually everybody is going to have to learn to live together, and they're going to have to learn to live together with some measure of equality. I think it's going to take a Nelson Mandela or a Dr. King on on both sides to come to that and I don't see that happening in the near future. I hate to I hate to get political with you in that question, but about uh President Trump has he helped or hindered this relationship? I believe he's hindered it um by taking uh and he and his son-in-law Jared Kushner have taken the side of the uh, the hard right in Israel, and um, they made a very provocative move of moving the American embassy to Jerusalem, which is the um, hoped-for homeland uh, and capital of a future Palestinian state. That was a huge blow to the idea of a, of a Palestinian state. Um, so I think they basically have dismissed uh, the idea of Palestinian human rights uh, in favor of allowing uh, a kind of expansionist, almost like a colonial settler regime. Neil, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. All right, thanks, Andy. Take care. All right, bye-bye. bye-bye. you listen to Neil Haley's show. We'll be back in just a moment.
We're back here to the Neil Haley Show, and I'm excited to welcome the program, Andrew Shack. And Andrew, uh, and now you're on my forum, but I know you have a topic for me today to discuss. What would you like? To I talk? do have a topic today, and I think it's a very important topic. That is why I think reading is important. Not particular books, but reading in general is very important. Okay. And, and I, I, think it, I think it is not occurring. I correct. think our society has become a society of images and little images. And I don't think it's what people are learning anything that way. And I think it's bringing down our entire culture. Okay. Well, let me talk about it, okay? So let's talk about it. Go ahead, Andrew. Okay. This is my opinion. Uh, we live in a society, and maybe you're right and maybe you're wrong on this, and you, you can give your views, Neil, as much as you want. It's your show. But I believe that people there is people do not read any. I'm not saying they have to read particular books. I discussed this once. Not the ones I mentioned, but in general, people don't read. They look at images. They look at television. They look at their computers. They look at cell phones. And what do I think? Neil, I'm telling you that nobody looking at some damn image is learning anything at all. They're not focused. They're not concentrating. Their mind isn't working. They, their mind, when you look at images and think you're learning something, your mind is being fried into jelly. That's my opinion. Okay. And therefore, when people do not read, and we are living in a society where people increasingly do not read, uh, they, will, they will be unable to think. That's my personal opinion. Without reading, without re I'm not talking about any particular books, any kind of book, but without reading and without print medium being prevalent and presenting thoughts and ideas, our society will be intellectually brought down to zero. That's my opinion. And I think it's very bad that people don't read because I think without reading, there are certain aspects. You tell me if you agree yeah, with I mean, me. They, 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 uh, without books. reading, there are certain aspects books. of our mind but you're not saying books, you're saying reading in general, people aren't reading today. Reading in general, yes. But I'm, it doesn't have to be a book, but it, for any kind of involved or complex thought must, I think has to be in print. You cannot look at some, frankly, Neil, and expect to know or learn anything. That's my opinion. You may have a good time, you may be entertained, but you're not gonna know anything. So reading is so important. And that's what? part of the problem today. Quick images, flashed images, 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 big color photos, pictures of everybody, pictures, pictures, pictures. And what do they do for any human being that looks at those things, Neil? What are they learning? You tell me. What's your opinion? What are they learning? Look at those pictures. I don't know what they're looking at. They're just, they're just not able to really use intelligence while looking at images. Are they using their minds? No. Sometimes. Maybe. And therefore, where are they going to learn anything? So why? So I think people read all the time. They just don't read books. Where? Where? where what? what you, you see people reading much? The Internet. The Internet is is a picture image medium. It is not a print medium. So what should they be reading, Andrew? They should be reading. They, 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 for example, there are, they should be reading people who present their thoughts in a complex, involved fashion. They shouldn't read something that is a quick fix, a few lines, which is, I think it would most, many, many people, that's what they read, a few lines. Or maybe, let me put it this way 
maybe they can get it, get a hold of, 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 of a headline in the New York Post, but that's not going to do nothing for them. Maybe they can get a few words in the editorial page of the New York Times. They'd have to take time to read the whole thing, and nobody has the time or focus. That's the issue. Focus, isn't it? Yes. It is. And that the issue, they, there's a lack of ability to focus on anything more involved than a headline in the New York Post. Isn't that about it? Yep, for sure. But I mean, I mean, it just all depends. You're, you're overgeneralizing in a way. I may be. Let me put it this way. This is my opinion, Neil, and I'll give this opinion. And I hope right. this audience listens to me and, and I'm, well, please respond to me. I'll give you my email address. I'd be happy to know what you think. But if we continue move in the direction of no thought, no focus, you know what's going to result? A society in darkness and a society in darkness will bring on the Hitler you fear and the Stalin you fear and the Ho Chi Minh you fear. That's where these people in a society where there's no thought and no reading and, and no, and no, no, just entertainment. That's when the Ho Chi Minh's and the Stalins and the Hitlers move into the gap. That could happen. Sure. Do you think you think a society where people only look at images, you think it's going to do much for us? No. I don't think so. And isn't it possible what I'm saying? That's when the totalitarian forces get the get the in, get the crack to get in, right? Correct. And so doesn't the doesn't a society of images and no thought and no, and no and no print doesn't it lead to can it lead to what we have presently seen in the past few years tremendous amounts of political manipulation truly fantastic amounts of political manipulation that has been going on for years right and left i'm not saying i'm i'm, I'm not saying it's the far left for trump against trump or Trump against the left. I'm saying that is what seems to inform people. Manipulative rhetorical blips. And that's bad because that's not thinking. That's, that's, that is not thinking. That is not thought. That is, nothing, that is nothing resembling thought. It is simply complete manipulation and lies. And I'm telling you, if it continues like this and we have a society governed by political rhetoric where people are told to believe what they're supposed to believe without thinking, we are moving to into totalitarianism, where people can be successfully manipulated in any direction the politicians want. All right, because they're so, not because they can't read. Yeah, so I they can't think. I, I can't read and can't think. So who cannot read? Who cannot think? Society in general. I don't know. I know that a friend of mine told me he's a writer, and I write things too that most people in this country uh, probably don't read a book their whole lives, number one. And number two, they have a sixth grade reading level. And I don't know if it's anybody's fault. Obviously, there may be a problem with the education. What do you think? There's a problem with the educational system? Yeah, I mean, we possibly could look at the education system, but I want to get these numbers and facts where you're saying that everyone's reading at sixth grade level. It, yeah, a percentage of the people, yes, are not reading at grade level. Let me ask you this. When was the last, when, let me ask you this, Neil. When was the last time that someone entered into a conversation with you about a book they had read? Uh, you tell always, me. I mean, yeah, they probably. When was the not. last time? Never. Tell me. Never. So, <laughs> so what does that say? 
they're reading books, but they're not seeing them as their number one priority to talk about. Yeah, but if, if, if people don't talk about their thoughts and discuss their thoughts, are there any thoughts? It seems like there's not. Uh, I don't know, Neil. I, I'm, I don't want to make generalizations that sound like I'm condemning. I probably am as much at fault in this situation as anybody. I wish I read more. I wish I knew more. But knowledge and reading, to me, are the roots to a, a society which is functional. And I believe if we have a society where people don't read, I repeat, we are heading to the possibility of political totalitarianism moving in the cracks. Okay, so shackenshow.com for more information. You can check out all your different things. Your YouTube channel, The Andrew Shackin Show. Google all those different things. I appreciate you coming by again, Andrew, on this radio show. Very. I hope nobody point. takes offense at what I said, but I believe I don't, we're I don't in think, real I don't danger, think ladies and gentlemen, I, in our society and the way it's moving. Big danger. I don't think they will. Okay, thanks again, Andrew. Take care. Okay, right, bye. bye. You listen to Neil Haley's show. We'll be back in a moment. Celebrity slots. Free spin. Free to play mobile social slot games in the likeness of your favorite celebrities. Making money. Spin to win celebrity experiences through sweepstakes. Free to download. Free to play. Yeah, baby. What are you waiting for? Win meet and greets. Celebrity merchandise, gift cards, and more. Download Celebrity Slots today. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Rob Roselli Show. I'm excited to welcome the program, Rob Roselli. Rob, how are you? Uh, we've been talking Georgia Guidestones, and, uh, you know, um, some interesting... Things are happening right now. Yes, very, very interesting. I mean, there's so much going on, and I think a lot's going on behind the scenes. Obviously, you know, with Trump and the re-election, and Trump's not one to overplay his hand or expose what he's doing. I mean, Trump's the man's got like 150 IQ or whatever it is, and and it's just amazing to watch what's And don't think that we haven't, you know, that those don't play into this whole thing, you know, with the population control, you know, maintain the Earth's population of 500 million and all these sort of things. So I think the elites are making their move for their new world order, which is really going to be a, a world, a new world disorder. And there's a lot to, there's a lot to contemplate in that statement. Okay, because the new world order implies that everybody's going to cooperate. Now you got the religion of peace, um, of course, known as Islam. You have Russia, China, Iran, and a lot of countries that have to cooperate in this new world order. So it's more like a new world disorder, right? And, and, and who's really who's really in charge of this whole thing, Neil? But father of lies himself in other words if you go back to to luke chapter four and 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 matthew chapter four and, and satan basically tells jesus that look get down and worship me and all this will be yours he promises the world but he's the father of lies so you're making a deal 
So I believe a lot of these people have literally made a deal with the devil. Okay. And they think they're going to control the world, but boy, there's a lot of countries out there that have a lot that are going to have a lot to say differently. I mean, there's no way the religion of peace is going to cooperate with say the Catholic church in the United States. So what we have is we have a colossal mess on our hands of people that think they're going to control the world, but actually what we're going to end up with actually, I think is world war three. And that's probably a subject for a future show. But let me say this in another future show that, that we can discuss in the next couple of weeks would be that of mystery Babylon. Okay. Which I believe yeah. is the United States. And, and, and if people want to read ahead, I mean, that link's already up on my website and, I've been having some issues with the website, so if it doesn't load, I'm gonna I'm gonna address those immediately. But but anyway, on the website is the link Mystery Babylon USA. I don't want to get delved too deeply into that right now because, like as I said, we'll we'll discuss that in the next several shows. Right. But certainly things are aligning, unfortunately, uh, to what I've laid out several years ago. And suffice it to say that. It's not going to be end times. I don't believe the end times so-called are going to be this nice, neat, you know, a lot of biblical prophecy scholars are calling for, you know, the rebuild Jerusalem temple and all this other sort of thing. And I don't think it's going to go down like that. But anyway, um, what I really want to talk about today is, is the book of Job, particularly okay. chapter 12. Okay. And the reason I say that is because when I wrote my first book, They Live, um, I just kept opening when I kept opening my Bible, it kept opening to Job chapter 12. And I, and I figured well, maybe, maybe God's trying to send me a message here. And, and I just kept, and I, and I actually posted sections of it on my website. And basically what it says in a nutshell is that God is allowing these people to operate for the time being. Well, in other words, before his, before his patience runs out in you know, second Peter chapter three, He's allowing these people, he's allowing the tabernacles of robbers to prosper, and they that prov they that provoke God and secure into him, into whose hand God brings God bringeth abundantly. So in there you could see our global elites. Okay, so in other words, they're being allowed. So for whatever God's purposes are, and ultimately we don't know the mind of God, you know, we can't begin to know, but So I appreciate you coming by, uh, Rob, and we'll uh, talk next week. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the new show that we have on the Neil Haley Network and Total Media Network. We're going to learn, specifically enough, it is the vaccine podcast, and we're going to find out about vaccines and different ways that they are developing. I'm excited to welcome to the program Dr. Mark Hayden. Uh, Dr. Mark, how are you and ready for a topic today? I'm feeling great. Thank you. Yes, that COVID-19 vaccine uh, podcast is really something that, you know, is out there and the conversations are getting big now on this, aren't they? Especially with, in December, the first uh, versions of the vaccine will be out to front frontline workers. Yeah, that is exciting. Uh, but we want to have, we want to make wise choices that will be the best for us as long as it is our choice, you know, hopefully the government won't take away our choice. Exactly. 
All right, so we're talking new oral vaccines. Explain a little bit more to that, Mark, involving COVID-19. Okay. Uh, we know when you think of COVID, and really that SARS-CoV viral infections, it is both a, a intestinal infection as well as a pulmonary infection. And where you get that virus at determines whether you get very sick if you get it in your lungs or whether you actually develop antibodies if you get it down in, uh, if it actually get, reaches your intestines. Now, initially they created a sense of fear and it's hard to think when you have such panic being pushed upon you, but you can really compare it to this. If I, if I drink, breathe water into my, lungs, I might drown. Right. But I can drink water all day long and keep from being dehydrated. So we all drink water. We drink it every day. It's safe. Sure. It helps sustain our bodies. It's good for us. But what we try all not to do is get water in our lungs or else we get big problems. And so really the same is true of SARS-CoV-2. Originally, there was so much fear and apprehension and panic we, we, it would almost be impossible for us to think that taking a, a, a virus in an oral form would actually be good for us, but that's ag exactly what it turns out to be. So, I mean, that's, that's kind of takes a while to adjust our thinking. Yeah, uh, it, yeah. It, it definitely does. And I just couldn't think of it in oral form because what vaccines are out there that people take in an oral form, the history of those. Well, we do have oral polio virus, which is one of the most successful viruses, uh, uh, vaccines in the world. The oral polio virus is inexpensive. It works very well. And one of the nice things about oral polio virus is because of its low cost of manufacture, it's given to little children. We know that it doesn't hurt. And, um, you know, what we initially saw earlier this year was that the, the intramuscular vaccines that are so popular in the United States, the one that are shots, and by intramuscular, we mean shots in your muscle, in your arm. Those were really the first ones to receive funding. And, you know, we remember from being little kids, you get the shot in your arm, your arm might hurt. In the case of these vaccines, it's no walk in the park, as some have said. And there are significant symptoms. And it really the intramuscular vaccines were not effective at first. Now we're having so much community spread that it's getting in our food, our intestines are getting exposed to it, and we're actually, the intramuscular vaccines have some degree of effectiveness, but I don't think you'll, you'll see the safety or side effect profile. I think that the oral vaccines will still be much safer and I think they'll be much less toxic. You won't get near as sick when you take them. So, yeah. you know, my family's going to take an oral choice is a better way to go. Yeah, I definitely. Um, and so which ones are out there that are trying to be approved right now that are on the oral end? Well, you know, this is kind of interesting. And I had originally presented, I tried to present to Operation Warp Speed back in, I believe it's June of this year. And about a month later, Vaxart uh, 
V-A-X-A-R-T, uh, begins to move forward with their old COVID-19 vaccine. Now, uh, Operation Warp Speed, I presented a request for, uh, I presented a proposal to them and they never let me present. But it turned out that they turned to another, uh, you know, typical pharma company and that Vaxart is now producing a uh, oral COVID vaccine for warp speed. And what they're gonna try to do is have this oral COVID-19 vaccine available as soon as possible. Wow. Okay. Really? So that's, so, um, and this is, is this part of your idea or did they, is it a little different than yours? Well, let me give it, let me kind of be a devil's advocate here or the CDC advocate. Back in April of this year, there was some concern that if you gave oral live COVID virus, the SARS-CoV-2 virus, that it would be in the stool and that people would forget to flush their toilets and it would spread through toilets. Now, in, in hindsight, you know, hindsight's what? 2020, is yeah. that the saying? Hindsight's yeah. 2020? If we look back at that, common sense would say that's hogwash. And it actually turned out to be hogwash. But, you know... As it turns out, we can't find one case of where stool has spread to humans because it is a respiratory infection. It's breathing it into your lungs that makes you sick. Right. And, you know, the last time, just to be honest, I've never breathed stool into my lungs. It sounds really gross. I don't do it. Nobody else does. And ordinary hygiene means people flush the commode. So um, it is in, now it is in the uh, septic tank systems and we can follow that for the live uh, COVID antigens. But um, then there was a choice. So when Vaxart came out, what they did, and this is interesting, they said, hey, look, we're going to put a twist on this. Instead of using the coronavirus, we're going to go to adenovirus. And then we're going we're gonna to alter the DNA of the adenovirus. And then it will have the spike protein that we need to build the antibodies against. And we'll give it to them as a, as a, uh, a pill. Now, here's the argument on that. You could say we all have had a common cold. Right. And sometimes that common cold is adenovirus. Sometimes it's a coronavirus. What we know is, is that literally 60 million people have had intestinal SARS-CoV-2 infections. Right. And none of them have died from their intestinal infection. Exactly. That is an incredible safety record. And when you see these people that recover because they did have intestinal exposure, that is a testament to how safe that coronavirus was in the intestine. The only way in which you could prove that adenovirus is with uh, the clone, the, the altered, genetically altered adenovirus that has the same spike protein as COVID, the only way you could do that is to almost treat 
millions of people, large numbers. So what we already know today is, is that COVID, when taken in an oral capsule, does not spread respiratory-wise. It stops the spread. It doesn't infect through stool. And it's safe and effective. In hindsight, it was the right thing to do. But, you know, people will say, you know, uh, it was just a lucky thought or lucky idea, whatever, you know, but uh, it's just the way things are. Yeah, it definitely. It's just the way things are and, and all that. And where do you see, so how, when do you think this oral vaccine will be approved? You know, I think there is a huge rush to push forward both the intramuscular as well as the oral vaccines. Right. We have a culture that really runs on in the West. We really, medicine is really built around money. It's not just about whether people get live or die. It's about jobs. Right. It's about who has economic power. If you look at a country like India that spends very little per person on health care, their overall life expectancy is only a few years, maybe three years lower than you, the United States. And after this COVID has run through with so many COVID pulmonary infections, there's gonna be even a lower dis difference between the death rate in India and the death rate that life expectancy in India and the life expectancy in the US. And, but when we look, all these, we have a culture that wants to say that high tech saved people and is, is going to save the economy. And that is why you're seeing 10, I mean, you're seeing billions and billions of dollars that were already spent on these vaccines. They're going to want to show up at the very end and claim all the credit for the epidemic going away. Correct. And yet this epidemic is probably going to burn out in the next two months in the US. Really? Yes. Without even having a vaccine? You no, know, right now we're, yeah. Even without a vaccine, this epidemic will likely burn through the US population by February 1st, which is what, two months and a week? Yeah. And actually, you know, Bill Gates, likes to be the smartest guy in the room. And hey, if you've got the money of Bill Gates, you can pay people that are supposed to know if, if you get the idea. And even Bill Gates said that virtually all the vaccines will quote, be effective by February. But they're effective because people have already developed partial immunity through so much community exposure to their intestines. And he won't elaborate on that. I don't even know whether he gets that idea or not. You know, I don't know whether he comprehends the difference between intestinal exposure and respiratory exposure. Uh, I, I don't know whether Bill Gates can, he's, I don't know whether he's ever been briefed on it or, or grasped the idea, but uh, not saying that he's not smart in many fields. But I don't know whether the experts have ever, his experts ever informed him. Definitely. It's uh, something uh, quite interesting. What's going to happen next? 
you know, in this whole process, Dr. Mark. Yeah. I mean, it's like, uh, so um, predictions right now. So you said burn through. So you really think it's going to be the world that's going to need the vaccine more than the United States? Let me tell you, we need a vaccine worldwide. Not just for the United States. It needs to be very safe. Extremely safe. It needs to be very effective. And it needs to have very little side effects. And only if it's inexpensive, if it has very low side effects. Well, if you start doing, if you look at it from that point, can you go into third world countries and say, hey, line up 100 people, let me give you a shot in the arm, and we don't want to miss anybody. That is not going to be real popular. But if you go into a third world country and say, we're going to give you a simple capsule to swallow, we'll try it on 10 people over here, and the other 100 people can watch them, and three days later, they've never even noticed any symptoms, then that's going to be a pretty popular pill. And it really ought to just about be given to the poor. It should be given to the poor. One of the worst case scenarios that could develop is that as literally billions of people are infected with COVID or the COVID, that that virus might mutate. And if that happens and it mutates into a, it is mutations are occurring all the time, but if it mutated into a, a form that was more resistant to the old antibodies, we could have, or more, it could be even more lethal, and we could have whole new set of infections, just like we get in the in, uh, the flu virus. And so as we get into the hundreds of millions, billions of cases worldwide, we need systems that can very rapidly develop low cost, very low cost, safe, low side effects, or no side effects that are inexpensive, that can control uh, these SARS-CoV-2 type infections very inexpensively. You have to look at all those factors. And that's safest for everybody on planet Earth. All right, well, uh, another great uh, show. Uh, you guys can check out Dr. Mark Hayden on Facebook and Dr. Mark Hayden official on Instagram and Dr. Mark Hayden on Twitter for all the different things. We're putting out his episodes on syndication as well on radio and also social media wise sharing all over the world. Great information, Mark, again today. And I appreciate you stopping by. Let me tell you, Neil, it's great to come by and talk to you. And, uh, you know, knowledge casts out fear. Learn as much as you can, and you'll have much less fear, and you'll have much better hope, and you'll be able to make more educated decisions. Thanks, Neil. All right. Okay, guys, that was uh, Dr. Mark Hayden and um, the uh, COVID-19 vaccine. Take care.